All right, welcome back to another episode of Revealed Apologetics. I'm your host, Eli Ayala, and uh, I say this at the begin beginning of every show, every time I have a guest, I'm super, super excited. And, and today, uh, I really mean it, as I meant it back in the day as well, but I really mean it specifically because it is my great pleasure to uh, be interviewing the daughter of a great uh, Christian apologist, a great Christian man, Dr. Walter Martin. We're going to be having his daughter, Cindy Martin Morgan, uh, on today to talk about the legacy of her father. If you do not know who Dr. Walter Martin is and you're into apologetics, uh, perhaps you have been living under a rock. I mean, uh, he passed away uh, in the late 80s, but um, his impact has uh, really influenced a lot of people as he is considered the father of cult apologetics. And so if you're doing apologetics ministry and evangelism ministry with Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, um, it's probably the case that you have come across his work as he is the author of the classic book, The Kingdom of the Cults. And so um, he uh, definitely is very impactful in that specific area of ministry. Um, just real quick before I, I do formally introduce um, our guest, who, by the way, wrote a magnificent book entitled The Bible Answer Man, Walter Martin and Hank Hanegraaff, Dr. Martin's Daughter's Reflections on CRI's founder, its history, and its current president. I just finished reading it the, reading it the other day, and it was absolutely awesome. Very awesome, touching personal stories. You get to see an awesome personal side to Dr. Martin, as well as, as his impact and influence and his many connections and relationships with some inter with interesting people along the way. So I highly recommend you guys check that book out. Uh, you can download it on Kindle. That's how I got it. You can um, download it on uh, Amazon, and, and uh, I highly recommend that you guys uh, do that. But real quick, before I, I introduce uh, Cindy here and, and kind of uh, invite her onto the screen with me, I have to say I remember very distinctly my first time ever listening to Dr. Walter Martin. Of course, he passed away, I believe, in 89, and I did not get into apologetics until after high school. I just graduated many, many years ago, 2001. Uh, and I remember uh, before I got married, there I had an argument with my, my, my parents, and I actually left my house, and I spent the night at my future mother-in-law's. She put the, the sofa couch out for me, and in my frustration, I'm like, I'm going to listen to something. And I happened to find the audio of a debate with uh, with Walter Martin and I, I I think his name was Van Hale or something like that. He was a Mormon uh, apologist. And I stood up all night listening to this man, Walter Martin, who I've never heard of before, refute Mormonism in such a powerful and convincing way. I actually felt uncomfortable for the Mormon gentleman. Uh, he did it gracious, graciously and respectfully, but... This man's knowledge of both the Bible and Mormonism was expansive, and it definitely came across uh, in that debate. And that drew me to explore, who is this guy? And apparently, you know, at the time I, I listened to that audio, he had passed away. But um, apparently I learned that he was not just Walter Martin. He was the original Bible answer man. And so uh, that was super exciting, and that kind of was my my gateway drug, so to speak, into the work of Dr. Walter Martin. And he's impacted my thinking in, in many ways since then. So without further ado, I'd like to uh, invite Cindy Martin Morgan, the daughter of the late Dr. Walter Martin on with us here. And uh, how's it going, Cindy? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Eli. Well, thank you for coming on. I mean, you, as we expressed on the phone before, you have no idea who I am. I can't. I can't imagine why you you, you don't know who I am. Uh, that's okay. But um, you. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> that's okay. If you don't know who I am, that's perfectly fine. Not a lot of people do. But um, I, I was uh, very grateful of the fact that uh, even um, you didn't know who I was or, or anything about my ministry, you were uh, gracious enough to agree to come on. And so for that, I'm very grateful. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. So why don't you take a few moments? I kind of gave an introduction about your dad and, and who you are, but is there anything you'd like to say to the folks uh, before we get started with kind of our, our kind of line of questioning here today? Well, I'm just happy to be here. I'm always happy to share uh, stories about my dad and, and share what God did in his life. I'm, I'm so excited about the fact that as Christians, the work that the Lord does through each of his children lives on forever, even after we're home in the house of God. Hmm. And that has been demonstrated to me, demonstrated to me over and over and over again uh, in regards to my father's life. Uh, I've had so many people, just countless people come to me and tell me how his ministry uh, touched his life and blessed them and or, or how God used him to draw them to Jesus Christ or draw them out of a cult or, or whatever it might be, how God used them. And it's such a privilege to be used uh, by the living God. And I'm, I'm so thankful to have had a father that uh, loved Jesus Christ and led me to Jesus Christ and helped others to know the real Jesus. Mm. Yeah. What I very much appreciate about your father is that he, in everything that he did, uh, whether it was on the radio or he's speaking, he's all, I mean, he's just, filled and saturated with the scriptures. I mean, the Bible answer man is an appropriate uh, name for your father. Um, and just listening to him makes the listener want to study the scriptures more. Did you find that that in your relationship with him, just talking with him, it made you just want to go deeper into the scriptures? I, I, I really felt that with him as I grew older, of course, as a kid. Uh, he was always filling our heads full of the gospel and demonstrating it with his life and, and all of the rest, of course. Mm. But as I, as I grew older, especially, I felt that he really had a, really had a fire for Jesus Christ. He just really on fire for Christ. And I, I'm just thankful to have been caught up in his excitement for the Lord. So it was really, really something to see. And I'm, I'm thankful that uh, I was there to see it. Yeah. Well, you had expressed to me um, uh, uh, just a little bit earlier that uh, your father uh, loved the Lord for a very long time. So he was a, a believer for a very long time. Of course, you were raised in a, a Christian home. So let's move forward to kind of uh, more of the emphasis of what got him into apologetics specifically, uh, because when we when we're born again, we're not, you know, some people, I guess, suppose are drawn to the uh, the field of apologetics, but some people kind of, you know, stumble into it right as they kind of uh, Experience objections and things like that. Um, I'm sorry. It appears that way, doesn't it? They stumble into it. That's right. That's right. Um, but how did your father get into apologetics in general? And then maybe we can talk a little bit about his specific area of expertise. Well, my impression always was uh, just his heart for the lost. Uh, he also had a passion for truth. He wanted to, uh, of course. Uh, teach others how to, how to come to Jesus Christ, but he also wanted to teach people how to defend their faith. And he also wanted to help people. He realized early on that people were embracing cults and it really, uh, it really disturbed him so deeply. And he really had a heart cry for those who, who were deceived by, you know, for example, Mormonism, not being the true Jesus, you know, that cult having all the terminology and yet it wasn't Christianity. And Mormons believing they can be Mormon men, if they're good enough, can be the God of their own planet uh, and procreate throughout eternity. And, you know, Jesus was Jesus to them as a spirit brother of, of Lucifer. So not that not the Jesus that we know 
from the Bible. And so that really troubled my father. He really wanted people to be set free, set free by the truth of the living word of God. And he really wanted to hold it out to them. And he really wanted to teach the church, which they, they didn't have a way to address these cults in the church in my father's day. They weren't addressing them. And so my father saw that need. God gave him that discernment to see the need for the church itself to, to come alive in, in this particular area and start to teach the body how to defend the faith once for all delivered unto the saints and how to help people that were blinded uh, by cults, by the cults and give them the tools, pull together the tools for them to be able to bring that about for the, you know, for the kingdom of God. So, mm. Yeah. There are two things that, that stand out to me in, in your response there is uh, of course, being a, a young man myself and, and kind of a, a very energetic kind of guy, I do enjoy a good argument. Uh, um, <laughs> it, it, you have to admit, after you kind of stretch your, your theological muscles and you're kind of done, you're like, that was fun, you know? Uh, and that's part of the, the temptation there is to, is to do it for the sake of fun and not doing it just, you know, for the sake of truth and out of a genuine love uh, for the lost. But what I noticed in your response there as to why your father got into apologetics, it was his genuine love for people who didn't know Jesus. And yeah. I think that's, that's something very important, especially my, my listeners that are maybe my own age or younger getting into apologetics. If you're doing apologetics for the purpose of simply winning arguments with no care in your heart for the people that you're speaking with, you are, you are doing apologetics unbiblically. That's why first Peter tells us to set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts, always being ready to give a reason for the hope that's within us, yet doing so with gentleness and respect. And then, of course, the Bible teaches with love. And so I'm very happy that you answered that way, because I think that's a good reminder for a lot of folks who are in apologetics. It's more than just, you know, gaining knowledge, but it's actually sharing that knowledge with a genuine love and concern uh, for, for the law. So I uh, very much appreciate that. Now, the second part that stood out to me was you kind of shifted into my next question is how do you get involved with the cults? And I think it's very important to recognize, and I'm sure you, you would agree here, is that, you know, when we do apologetics, maybe this is your experience too, people typically think atheists. Now, I have to talk to the atheist, but as much as the uh, the atheist is a concern and we need to, to deal with that, the cults are vastly more, you know, popular and the more people ad adhering to them. Do you think it was something of your dad, perhaps an insight to tap into that highly populated segment of society, instead of just focusing on something of, of like atheism, he saw that there was a much wider mission field here. And, and so did, was that something that played into his desire to kind of focus on that aspect of, of apologetic study? Absolutely. I really think he wanted to clear away the cobwebs. I think he really wanted to shine the light on the truth of the gospel and contrast it against the deception of the cult and false teaching. Mm -hmm. And he, for example, when he was in college on his lunch hour, he would go and stand out on the corner of certain streets and be a little bit of a street evangelist. He didn't scream at people, nothing like that, but he would answer questions. He would go out and he would ask people, passersby, passer, people passing by, you know, you know, do you have a question for me about the Bible? Do you have a question for me about Jesus? You know, and then he would engage with them. Mm -hmm. And so his love, his love and his, um, his burning desire to see people come to Jesus Christ really propelled him forward, even in areas that are uncomfortable. You know, not all of us have, you know, it's not our, all of our, excuse me, <clears throat> our comfort zone 
you know, he stepped out of his comfort zone mm. and he was willing to do, you know, what not everyone would be willing to do because for the sake of the gospel. So I really admired that about him. So mm. when you say stepped out of his comfort zone, what do you mean? What, what was, are you referring to something of just like having to speak out truth and being in, in a sense in a confrontational context or stepping out of his comfort zone uh, in studying areas that perhaps well, I think stepping out on corners and being a little bit of a street evangelist is, is really out of most people's comfort zones. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think, <laughs> so I think he was willing to step out of his comfort zone in that regard. I think he was also willing to step out of his comfort zone for Jesus Christ in the sense that he used to always say, we're not here to be popular. Mm. So uh, he got shot down a lot and you get rejected a lot. You know, when you're trying to share the truth of the gospel, when you're trying to, you know, share a truth in general, you can get shot down a lot. And my father uh, didn't let that sway him because, like I said, he, he, he would tell people, look, you're not here to be popular. If, if you get popularity of the world, you know, while you're serving Jesus Christ, you know, well, good for you. But the, but the goal is to serve Jesus Christ, to do it in love, to do it faithfully, to step out of your comfort zones, because realize that people are going to hell. And the time is short and we need to step out with the word of God and and pray that he'll reel them in through us, you know, by the power of God. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, what I really appreciated about your book is that I got to see a side of uh, your father that that most people uh, don't see unless they read a book like that, especially, uh, you know, from someone who, you know, you is your dad. So you definitely see. You know, the, the, we can see these kind of public figures and, and uh, from afar and we kind of ask the question, I wonder what it was like living with someone like that. You know, <laughs> like, like I do apologetics. I teach high school, middle school. I'm, I'm, I'm a speaker. I, I, I do these sorts of things. And, uh, you know, people come to me with all sorts of questions. But then when they meet my wife, you know, sometimes you know, how is it living with, you know, with Eli? And, <laughs> and sometimes the story is not it, it, when she is really nice to her. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'll have to be very nice. Sometimes the, the the myth that surrounds me diminishes when reality, you know, reality strikes. But, but let me ask you, what was it like? Maybe you could share uh, for people who uh, haven't read your book, but I strongly encourage people to do so. What was it like growing up with the Bible answer, man, as your dad? Well, it was it was really a lot of fun. I, I can tell you uh, he had a fantastic sense of humor. Uh, he he was always making us laugh. He taught us to kind of laugh at each other too, which was which was really good. He laughed at himself. He was very self-deprecating and his humor. And uh, so I, I loved that about him that he could laugh easily and just uh, just have fun with us. Uh, we had something called Daddy's Day. You know, he traveled quite a bit for ministry, and yet uh, on on the times he was on the weeks he was home, there was what we call Daddy's Day, which was Saturday. And we would, you know, go for rides in the car and he would sing songs that had, he'd insert our names into the songs and they were silly songs or sweet songs. Yeah. And uh, he would do that and it was so precious. And, or, you know, we'd go bowling, we would, you know, grab some lunch, we'd go shopping. But he always would would put us front and center and, you know, draw us out. And uh, we just had the best times. They were so great that I remember thinking, I don't even want to spend the night at friends' houses. <laughs> Because I just love being with my dad. I just thought, you know, he's, he was, you know, my best friend. I, I just, I love being with my dad. And he just, uh, he really not only taught us the word of God, you know, and interspersed that throughout our lives, but we really had fun together. And he, uh, he was just a funny guy. I think one of the, one of the real uh, funny stories has happened later when I married my, my husband, Rick. Okay. Uh, Rick was so awed by the Bible answer man, Walter Martin. And, 
uh, he was just kind of intimidated by that a bit. <laughs> and yet Rick has such a brilliant mind of his own and, and, and really study, has studied out you know, theology and, and church history and all that stuff. But even so, he just felt like, you know, oh, you know, he felt a little tongue tied sometimes around my dad when it came to uh, talking about the word of God. But yeah. I wanted them to talk and I wanted to hear them debate. And I, I sort of set Rick up. You know where I. We, we, That's <laughs> terrible. I know it's just terrible. It's so terrible. I, knew I, I want you to talk to my dad for a couple of minutes. <laughs> but one time we picked up my, and he still loved me. <laughs> one time we picked up my dad from the airport, and uh, I jumped in the back seat, you know, and let my dad sit in the front as usual when we did something like that. And you know, they get all settled, and you know, the car starts and everything get going, you know, and then I ask. I asked my dad, you know, I said, Rick really is wondering about, you know, he wants to know about, he really wants to discuss this. Really that was the sovereignty of God or something they didn't agree on because <laughs> my dad wasn't a Calvinist. Rick was a Calvinist. <laughs> I wasn't a Calvinist at the time. And so I kind of wanted, I kind of wanted to hear the debate, you know, and, and sure. see who <laughs> I think Rick was ready to do me in. <laughs> but it was, it was really, it was a fun time. And that is hilarious. They did it. They did it so uh, respectfully and so right. loving. And Rick did do a good. He did a really good job, you know. And there was another funny story too, where Rick actually called the Bible Answer Man program. We didn't tell my dad that he was calling in ahead. <laughs> my dad recognized his voice right away. And so Rick starts asking him these questions, and my father just—it was just so funny because you can tell by his answers he knows it's Rick, <laughs> but he doesn't say anything about it. But he gets in the back seat, Rick. Come on. <laughs> thinking of a son-in-law, you know, and, and his, his daughter in the back seat egging them on, you know, <laughs> and uh, they had a great exchange on the Bible Answer Man program, kind of anonymously, too, as, as, in terms of the viewers knowing anything. Sure. But I love to hear them talk back and forth, and uh, my dad just, my dad had such a sense of humor. In fact, when Rick would drive him sometimes to his uh, Bible class, uh, <laughs> I shouldn't be saying this, but I said it in the book because I, I just think it's okay. part and parcel to being a human being. But my father was always late to everything. In fact, he said he often said he was going to have his casket delivered late to his funeral because <laughs> he was always late and you kind of wanted to be consistent. <laughs> but I remember him saying to Rick, you know, just hurry. You know, if you get a ticket, I'll pay it. You know, <laughs> and I'm sure they both repented. I'm sure they both did. But we had so much fun with him. I'm learning from him. And uh, just just having that closeness and the laughter and just everything that we had with him, uh, the godly guidance and just all of it, we could disagree. We could disagree and talk to him about certain things and he'd love us and, and we'd, it would be okay. It would be okay to disagree. I always knew my father loved me and nothing would ever change that. And he mm. just had a gracious heart toward people and toward his children too. So. Mm. That that's funny because he's kind of learning a little bit about yeah. See, with the whole with the whole Calvinism debates, that's so funny because when someone wants to debate something, it's either that or eschatology that comes up, right? You know, right. The, in it, and I love the way, <laughs> the way you framed it out. Rick was wondering, you know, <laughs> you set him up for that. That's so funny. Well, well, one of the things that I what I enjoyed about your father and the reason why I enjoyed uh, listening to him and I still enjoy, I don't know who puts out the podcast that there's a podcast that, um, uh, that I'm subscribed to that has a lot of your father's uh, audio teachings. Um, but the reason why I like to listen to him is not just for the theological uh, aspects and the biblical aspects, but he's just fun to listen to. I mean, his humor comes across 
in his lectures and his Bible studies. And he's able to click on and off this very funny person, but at the same time, at very strategic points, shoots that truth straight home in a way that kind of just locks in your mind. And I think that's one of the characteristics of a really good and effective teacher. So I very much appreciated that about him. I did too. And you know, he, he was the kind of person that was comfortable in his own skin. And he didn't miss a beat when he was on the air. In fact, one time he was running into the studio late again, <laughs> racing down the hall. You know, he jumps into his chair. The chair breaks out from underneath of him. His feet go straight up in the air. And as soon as he hits the floor, he says, um, this is the Bible answer, man. You're on the air. And so he did the first segment with his feet straight up in the air, and he didn't miss a beat. So oh. he was just, uh, you know, that comfortableness and that he was just, he was always prepared. It's, it's just he... He was a little bit challenged in, in getting there on time, so but he was always prepared. <laughs> All right, real quick, I just have a technical issue. My my battery's gonna run low, so I have to switch my cameras. So I charged it. I don't know what's going on. I always keep it in there, but we'll we'll switch it up here. Such as uh, the show must go on, right? Let me see if I could uh, switch it here. There we go. It's a slightly different angle. I hope that that doesn't make a big difference here. There we go. Does that look okay? Is my hair okay? That's all right. All right. Very good. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, okay. So you did mention something that your father was always late. Um, obviously he's a busy, he's a busy man. Okay. Now my next question, and I think this is a kind of a good practical question because a lot of people who do apologetics and study and, you know, you're a parent, you have another job, you're trying to balance ministry together. Um, it's always interesting to me to, uh, to see, someone like your father, these public figures who are very heavily involved in ministry, um, on the front, it looks like they often have, have it together. I mean, I would have known your father comes late to stuff unless you told me. <laughs> so, so we kind of have this perception that these folks have it all together. But um, I mean, he's a human being. We're all imperfect. How did your father, how was your father able to um, balance apologetics, uh, writing, studying, speaking, debating, all of the prep that goes into that, being a dad and being present. I mean, I'm sure this is this was a great challenge for him. H how did he balance that out in his life? Well, it was an enormous challenge. And he was definitely on I would say he rose to the challenge considerably, and so did my mom. I think that they really saw the purpose in what they were doing was the lost and helping people to come out of the cults and find the true Jesus of the gospel. And I think they were both really driven by their love for Jesus Christ and realizing that God had given them this to do. So she was really a good helpmate for him. And I really think that he, he just saw the eternal perspective. He loved us all so desperately and he spent as much time with us as he could. But I think that the eternal perspective was always right there in the forefront. And he, it, that was in our lives always. I mean, we couldn't even get in the car to drive someplace without my father asking the Lord, you know, to please give us a safe journey. Mm. And to, he was always thanking the Lord for something or pointing the way to the Lord in even the smallest ways. And so I think that we all had a real strong sense of what he was doing was pretty important. And I think that he, he brought it home to us so much, even taking us to work with him when we were little to the first CRI building and showing us what daddy did. He drove it home to us so much how, what a big part Jesus is to our lives and to our existence and to our world and why, why our world needs him so much that I remember as a kid feeling the, the excitement of what he did 
And so he was able to read, he was such a good communicator anyway, but even with, with me, I remember feeling like, wow, he's making me so, I'm so, I'm so proud of my dad for, for what he does for Jesus. And I just remember, I remember feeling that and understanding that. And I don't remember growing up feeling like, oh, you know, where's dad? It was, well, dad's telling the world about Jesus. Dad's, dad's teaching, you know, these things to, to, the, to the people that need to know them. And so I, I just remember a strong sense of feeling really proud of him and really understanding that this was a great thing he was doing, how privileged, what a privilege it was mm-hmm. that we had a dad who did this and who loved Jesus like he did. So I, I just, I don't remember ever feeling like, gee, I wish my dad, you know, he's just not spending enough time with us. I, 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 my memories are full and my heart is full of, of what he brought to the table and what he gave us. So, mm. so now that, that, that's awesome. So, so he felt the weight of the importance of what he was doing. Of course, no one was doing what he was doing. <laughs> so, in, in the, in the, in the capacity that, uh, in, in what he was doing, obviously you have people who are, evangelizing, doing apologetics, but in the capacity in which he did it, I think he was very unique. He was doing something that I think the church uh, very much uh, needed. But what, but when you said that he kind of had the the sense of eternity, kind of a, a, an eternal big picture, kind of we're here, we need to appreciate the moment that we're in, and we pray that God has his hand over our family, the ministry. In what specific tangible ways did he remind you guys of the importance of Jesus? I mean, your your, your siblings and yourself. Um, did he, when you guys were together, did you guys have personal devotions together? Was he a, a preachy kind of guy? Like, oh, here comes dad again. He's going to start quoting the Bible. Or how did he integrate all of that in his parenting? Well, he was always quoting the Bible. Okay. Uh, he always emphasized the importance of, of, of memorizing scripture. I remember as a teenager, particularly, I mean, as, as a child, he was always, you know, he was always teaching us the word of God, of course. Um, but I felt like he was living it too, which is a huge thing to be actually living it out in front of your children, not just let them hear you talk. They need to see you living it. Mm-hmm. As a teenager, I can remember my dad and I took many walks and I was so blessed and so, so privileged to be able to do those walks with him. And I remember him saying to me, one of the, one of the biggest things he said to me that has stuck with me my whole life and has impacted me so deeply and has helped me so much in my walk with Jesus is he used to say to me, keep track of God, mm-hmm. you know, get a journal and keep track of God, put down your prayer requests, put down God's answers and put them down. Even if you don't like them, even if you don't like, you know, how God resolved the situation, you need to be able to keep track of God. And then he said, and as you continue on doing this, you're going to be able to look back and you're going to have that record and you're going to be refreshed and you're going to be reminded of the goodness of God and how God is with you every day in every way, and he has your back. So keep track of God. And I never forgot that. That has helped me so much. That's excellent. I, I was, um, I just finished a three-part series, a, a, a sermon series at my church on the sovereignty of God. And mm-hmm. uh, I, uh, so I, we did, so, the first sermon was the sovereignty of God kind of defined and explained. And then the second was the sovereignty of God in the midst of kind of a chaotic world. And then my last part was the sovereignty of God in you you know, individually, you know, God's sovereignty in our, in our lives. And what I, what I did was I took my wife and I's prayers, prayer journal, and I was able to, with permission, I was able to read some of our requests of God and the ways in which he answered and provided. And I think uh, that's an awesome advice on the part of your dad, because for myself, I've, I've lived it. There's something about seeing your struggle and then seeing and experiencing God's deliverance and seeing it on paper and saying, oh my goodness, that was so long ago and God provided like, oh my, that's that's amazing. So much better than trying to just remember because we forget. We do forget. 
No, they just kept complaining. God would do one miracle after another, even lived at the sea, and yet they still, what are we gonna do now? You know, God, you know, and we're just the same way. And I think it's it's part of the reason that's there is to remind us, you know, that that we are human. <laughs> And that we need to reflect on the goodness of God and we need to write it down and, and hold fast to it and remind ourselves that God, God isn't going to ever abandon us. And my father used to always say, God will provide him. And Rick and I have had situations in our lives where, you know, we've had to look at each other and say, what are we going to do? You know, and there was one in particular that was pretty heavy. And I remember hearing in the back of my mind, it's just, it, it wasn't audible, it wasn't out loud, like we're speaking now, but in the back of my mind, I, I heard my father's voice and words saying, the Lord will provide. And I remember thinking, you know, he had told me that throughout my life, the Lord will provide. And he, he would show me examples with CRI and say, you know, we, we've always had struggles. Ministries do. They always have financial struggles. And he would say, I would think, oh, this is it. You know, <laughs> we're, right at, we're right at the end of our rope here because how are we going to, you know, get over that mountain? He said, but I would cry out to God and and I would see God move the mountain. Mm. And so he would often show me the mountains God moved. And so it has really strengthen my faith in knowing that the Lord will provide because I saw him provide countless times uh, for CRI, for our family, and in my own family. Now, as life has moved on, uh, the Lord will provide because he takes care of his own. And he owns, my father used to say, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Mm -hmm. And he does. And he will care for you. He will care for me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, now I want to shift gears. So those, those kind of the, the, the character of your dad, I mean, such an inspiration. Uh, there's so much to, to draw from this, this interests me a lot. I mean, I read, I read a lot, you know, uh, but there's something about reading like, um, about a person, like people that I admire and read about the person and the things that they, they did in their lives that, um, those sorts of books, like, like your own, uh, how would you like to refer to your book? There's like the title and then there's that subtitle. So I can keep repeating the title. The Bible answer, man. Okay. Um, uh, well, that book, is the kind of book that I can breeze through very quickly. Sometimes I read very slowly. This one is just so captivated because you have so many interesting things on every page and the people that he knew and, and his relationship with certain people, some of the controversies that, and having come of some of that background information, you know, uh, on some of these very well-known uh, points in your dad's ministry to kind of get that insider scoop. Interesting. So interesting. So I'm very much intrigued about, uh, those sorts of things. So, so my next question is kind of a, a kind of a background question. I mean, your dad was the Bible answer man, but uh, he did not just magically absorb all of this information. I mean, I understand how apologetics work, how study works. It is work. And so, my question for you, and I think uh, listeners would be interested: How did your dad study? What did that look like? I mean, I'm sure it was blocks of time. He probably was reading all sorts of stuff and researching. What did that look like in the age before the internet when, when he couldn't Google something on his phone? You know, I can't see how he was able to do what he did without a phone by his side. Well, he had a very large Bible and he had it underlined from beginning to end and notes all through it like you wouldn't believe. I just things falling apart and it was clear that he was in that Bible quite a bit. He also was blessed with a photographic memory. So mm. he once told me too that he read the dictionary because he wanted to put so much more definition, all the definitions of words, he wanted to plant those into his, his mind and into his brain so that he would have more easy access to, to the English language type of thing. So 
I mean, I don't, I don't know anyone. I've never met anyone in my life that, that has told me anything like that, that they read the dictionary. Who can read the dictionary? <laughs> but he did <laughs> because he wanted to have an advantage, you know, and he did have an advantage. So he, he did that. And the photographic memory was really a blessing for him because he could literally pull things out like you, you can't believe. Now, you know, just like everybody else, he'd have, he sometimes would have days where, you know, was, maybe he didn't change the film, you know. <laughs> but, but overall, you know, I think that his memory was, was incredible. And the gift that God gave him was, was pretty remarkable. And if you're blessed enough to have that to your advantage, you know, you truly are as blessed as he was, but I would, I, I think that the memorization of scripture is, is really one of the biggest keys, I think, to defending the word of God and to getting through life, to have it, to draw from your soul, to comfort you, to guide you, to um, help you to reach others for the kingdom. So mm -hmm. I think it's like a huge thing. Yeah. And, uh, uh, when I explain something to that effect and I try to highlight the fact that scripture is so important in apologetics, I like to think of it as kind of, um, we study scripture until it becomes the background music of our minds. It's kind of like when you're humming a song and you know, it starts playing and you, you remember the next line because it's in you. It's kind of like you're a filled sponge. And when the pressure of life touches the sponge, the, the water starts gushing out. I think that's what we need to do. Uh, and your dad exemplified that so uh, wonderfully. Exactly. I Scripture should be the soundtrack of your life. That's right. The soundtrack for your entire life because mm -hmm. it's it's that soft place that you can, when you fall, there it is. Mm -hmm. And God always shows you something new. It's always something new is coming from this scripture, that scripture, that scripture. So it comes back to you nude. Right. And it renews you. I mean, it's just, it's a miracle. The yeah. word of God is a miracle. And to have it with you wherever you go by that memorization process, you'll never regret that because it's, it really is obeying the scriptures, which says to hide God's word in our hearts. Mm. Now, when you say your dad's Bible was highlighted from beginning to end, I mean, what, what, what was <laughs> he, was he always just reading the scriptures all the time? I mean, like, what did that look like? Did he take out like blocks of time? Did he, uh, you know, what, that's interesting to me. I mean, I've read my Bible. Yeah, he only read it at night. Huh? At night. At, at night a lot. He would have his quiet time with the Lord and okay. read through the scripture. He was mm. often in there, always finding things new. Like I said, always, always trying to see, you know, like, like Hank says, Hank Hanegraaff, you know, to mine the scriptures for all they're worth. My father was the same way. So yeah. great example there. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Now I want to talk a little bit about um, the importance of apologetics and the local church. And I know that uh, your dad was not simply an apologist. I, th I think he valued very much the body of Christ. And, I, and uh, there's something interesting going on in the world of online apologetics. People who do what I do, who have YouTube channels, and, and they're kind of known for doing this specific thing. Oftentimes, um, they'll be very popular for doing apologetics, but um, there's often no evidence that there's a connection to an overarching body of believers, that they're connected to a healthy church. And so you have people arguing on the internet and studying philosophy and theology, um, and but there's no overarching accountability and, and just evidence of being connected to the body of Christ. Um, how did your dad, how much did your dad value um, doing apologetics under the umbrella of a healthy church? I think that'd be important for folks to know about. He did value it quite a bit. And, you know, first there was that step of, of getting people interested in, in the apologetics, defending your faith and, and teaching people about the cults and how to defend their faith, you know, faith, getting the churches interested 
and getting those resources to the church and getting all of that rolling. I think that was a big part of it. And I think he always intended for people to be subject to the elders of their church and to be humble and to, and to, to present the truth in love. And to, I think he said an excellent, an excellent example of that when he, when he spoke as many times as he did everywhere to try to push people to not only be sharing the truth and knowing why you believe and knowing how to reach certain cults and all that kind of stuff, but he was always pressing for accountability. Mm. And I think that that's part of what the church body, you know, the local church is all about, is that we should be um, accountable to one another but we should be, you know, come to each other in humility and we should get the log out of our own eye before, you know, <laughs> we try to uh, get it out of someone else's. And I think that he was, he was a good, he, he just demonstrated, he, he just was a good example of that. And he tried to teach that to people that, you know, support your local church and, and, you know, be under its leadership and don't be full of yourself, you know, be humble, be humble. And he was very humble. And that's one thing that I, that so blessed me about his life. He, was, he'd jo- he would joke, you know, and, and say goofy things, you know, sometimes he'd say, you know, you can kiss my ring or something, <laughs> you know, after he shared something profound or something, it, it, it's just something silly, not profound scripturally. He would never, never mock scripture in any sense at all. But just he might say something silly. And it, if it was to his credit, he might say, you may kiss my ring. And then he would laugh and uh, we would laugh. And, and he was always everything always came back to the Lord and giving God glory for anything, anything that he counted um, gain that God had done through him. He, he always would circle it back to Jesus Christ and to God be the glory. And yet always was willing to, you know, uh, make fun of himself and, and laugh and, and goof around with us. And I, I don't think that you can have six kids and stay sane if you don't have a really good sense of humor and <laughs> you can't really laugh at life and <laughs> all that. I don't have six kids, but three is enough for me to get that treatment. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think you set a good example. Very good. Well, um, I have to say that uh, listening to your father and I got, and I, I highly encourage people. I mean, his, there's a lot of audio material on YouTube um, and you can download podcasts or, of his teachings. Your father had, I think a very interesting gift of teaching apologetics, enriching the mind, but also all at the same time, bringing conviction upon people who have not engaged in that aspect of the Christian life that, that we should, right? I mean, Peter's command in first Peter three fifteen, for everyone. And yeah. so your dad was one of the few people that when I listen to, I feel terrible, you know, and not because I, I, I agree with everything he said. I was like, I'm not doing enough. You know, I got to go out and, you know, it's so, it's so funny to me that, that um, oftentimes people will pray with kind of a false sense of piety. Lord, please send someone in my path so that I can share your powerful message uh, of the gospel. And then someone knocks on the door and be like, lock the door. It's a Jehovah's witness. You know, you know, God brings people in our lives. And then we run from the opportunities. Your dad definitely uh, brought conviction and made me want to engage people, even when it was uncomfortable. So I think that was a very interesting uh, gift that he was able to do every time I listened to him. So I greatly appreciate that. Yes, he was a great, he had a gift of encouragement and he was really a good motivator. He would really he would equip you with ideas and ways that you could get these people to listen to you. Like one of the things I remember, I remember him distinctly saying was, you know, after you've had, if God's given you some time to talk to them, just, you know, see if they'll pray with you. And if they'll pray with you, see if you can share any more nuggets of truth in that prayer mm. to kind of 
add on to what you've already done. You know, he always had these just these little ideas to try to help people to be able to reach as far into their darkness with the light as God would allow. So I really mm -hmm. love that about him. Yes, very much so. That's, that's definitely, he tried to incorporate the gospel in everything. And I, I that's, that definitely is evident in everything that he does. I think uh, a lot of apologists who tend to focus on the philosophical and the theological aspects really should take a note of when it all is said and done, we need to get to the gospel. We need to get to the scriptures and speak the truth of Jesus Christ to people who need to hear it. Now, I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about um, CRI, the Christian Research uh, Institute. Uh, how did your father get the idea of saying, you know what, um, I'm speaking, I'm teaching, uh, I'm writing. I'm not sure if he if he started writing after he established CRI or before. Um, what inspired him to say, I want to, um, you know, have this, I guess this ministry that was more centralized and more focused and intentional in, in the way that it, it did its outreach. What inspired him to kind of start the Christian Research Institute? Well, he really wanted to create a think tank of resources, full of resources that would help equip the lost and also and the lost in the cults. So the lost, the body of Christ, and those ensnared in the cults that are also lost, obviously. So he wanted to, he, he saw a deficit in the in the church they, they weren't addressing and they weren't teaching people how to defend their faith faith a, a lot of them weren't not it wasn't that no none of them were teaching people how to defend their faith but a lot of them weren't and so he saw that the need for people to learn okay know why i believe what i believe and 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 teach them how to relay that to other people and communicate that and to give them uh the scriptures to do it and additional resources to do it so that they could best evangelize the, the world and, and, and bring others people into the God into God's kingdom. And he wanted to have a place where people could call in, write for resources, or call in and ask questions and be able to equip them the best way possible. And that's where he came up with the think tank, CRI becoming that think tank, and then the resources, you know, one by one, uh, as God gave them to him, becoming available to the body of Christ through this dynamic ministry that was helping to equip the body and, mm -hmm. and aiding the church and, and teaching uh, its congregants to mind the Bible for all it's worth in the sense of even reaching, you know, which some people might've saw as the unreachable or they didn't even know, they didn't even know that the Jesus of Mormonism wasn't the true Jesus. Sure. There's so many people that still think Mormonism is Christian and some of these cults are Christian and they still need to come to understand the truth. And my father just, he just had that desire to awaken the church and awaken people to, hey, they need Jesus and this is how we do it. And so I think that that he wanted to be able through CRI to accomplish that goal. And he did, he did. And God had put that goal on his heart. So. Yeah. And, and how quickly did it grow in its popularity? Because I'm, I'm sure he was tapping into something that people were saying, hey, hey, this is different. Like I have a resource I, I can call in and I can get my answers that I can bring back and share with my friends and my family. Um, you know, how quickly did it grow? Did, was it kind of a rapid growth or was this kind of over time uh, people began to kind of, uh, you know, look into it and say, oh, this is interesting. Was it an explosion? Was it slow? What did that look like? It was an explosion, but I would say, you know, when I was writing this book, I, I kept saying to my husband, Rick, you know, I just, I would have to step back and look at all this and think, oh my goodness, I cannot believe the footprints of God in my father's life because, you know, from a human perspective, it may not look that rapid, but I, I, I think it, I think it actually, 
happen fairly fast. You know, when I see everything that I've laid out in the book that God, you know, the, the main um, nuts and bolts to how God brought this ministry together and how he brought my dad to the table to do these things. And like in 1963 was his first um, uh, radio program, Dateline Eternity. And then in 1965 came the Bible Answer Man. And my father had also been a, a guest host for Dr. Um, Barnhouse, who was a, a Presbyterian pastor. And so he had gotten his, he got kind of gotten his feet wet um, being associated with Barnhouse, who was one of his mentors. And so I could see through, as I was writing this book, I could see how God, you know, was walking him step by step by step to get him to these different places that would unleash this ministry on the church in, in, in such a supernatural way, because everything God does is, is supernatural and just and just amazing. And I, I'm, I'm so astonished, too, how interesting it is that, you know, my father's parents wanted him to be an attorney and he wanted to defend the word of God in the supernatural courtroom of the world. And here was his father, a famous judge back in the days of Al Capone, you know, in the courtroom defending truth, you know, in the world. And yet my father was called to that supernatural courtroom. And I, I'm just so, I'm just so blown away by seeing his path. And I, and I, you know, in some ways you look at it and you think, well, that took a little time here. That took a little time there, but the overall picture of it, I mean, when you think about the fact that he went home to be with the Lord after he had been at the helm at CRI for 30 years, so much had been accomplished. I mean, God raised it up from the ground up and 30 years is not that long a period of time. And then when he positioned Hank to be in there and, and put him in there and here we are 30 years later, we're over, you know, over 60 years now with this ministry equipping, equipping the church still and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's just astonishing all that God has done mm. through all of these men that he raised up to do this ministry of CRI. So yeah. Now with a ministry that wide reaching and that influential, um, I guess in my mind, I'm thinking that being involved in such a ministry and standing at the helm of such a ministry uh, can be stressful um, it's spiritually, physically. Uh, it's very, it's very demanding. Did, did your dad kind of um, being at the helm of, of CRI, did that take um, a toll on, on family life? Was, was that something that the family felt the burden of this of this big ministry and just the commitment that was needed to, to do something like that? I don't think I felt, I don't think I felt burdened. Okay. Um, I can only speak for myself in, in that regard in terms of, you know, my siblings and all too. I, I didn't feel burdened by it. I felt blessed by it. Hmm. I'm sure that as a couple, you know, my parents having five children and navigating through all of those waters, you know, I'm sure that they had quite the challenges and I know that it, it took its toll on them. Um, I know that they had their trials and their struggles, but I really feel like God, uh, God saw them through those and brought them both to a better place, you know, through the storms of their lives because they, they eventually divorced, which I do mention in my book. I don't discuss it much, but uh, I think that you know we're human beings and even Christians go through struggles and, and difficulties. And I think that, you know, perhaps with my mom, you know, it, it probably took a bigger toll uh, having the five children and everything else. And she's completely a hundred percent supported him. So it's not a criticism, sure. but I, I think that uh, sometimes things happen in those directions, but God, God just, God has a way of working all things to our good you know, to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And I think that uh, even though she basically, um, 
she she basically left that relationship. She she really loved the Lord and she really loved um, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God brought her to eventually to a better place. And I think God, I, I mentioned this too, because God brought my dad through that shipwreck. I think that that difficult season of his life in a huge way. And I talk about it a little bit in the book, but just in a very respectful and, and more private. I just tried to only touch on what I think would be edifying to to people's lives who, you know, so many people have been hurting and so many people have go, go through so many trials and, and struggles and divorce, unfortunately, is a very common thing, even amongst Christians. And I think people need to know that God, God, um, he will, he will see you through if you're in a difficult situation, God will see you through. He saw my father through and he protected uh, his ministry in CRI and he protected our family and God just, God just is there, you know, God's there all the way. And he's what he rescues us in every situation. And my father saw that and he, uh, he didn't talk around the situation. He was always quick to uh, talk to me about whatever his feelings were and what God was doing, and what his disappointments were. Um, but always recognizing, you know, no matter what we face, we have to hold fast to the word of God, hold fast to Jesus and know that he is with us until we're home in his presence and just do the best for the Lord you can, no matter what comes. Yeah. Now, uh, when I was reading your book and you were mentioning that kind of that, that trial of his life, I mean, it was beautiful how you, you painted this picture of, of an awesome father, you know, uh, um, funny and you guys were close and you did things together and you kind of brought me along on the emotional journey so that the impact of that aspect of the story I really felt and the sinner in me wanted to know all the details uh but I was I actually came uh, away with a greater respect with how you treated that topic it's that um we don't need to know the details what you were able to highlight was not the details of, well, what happened in all the, the, the deep, dark, secret inner workings of your family. You were able to say, listen, we're not perfect. We struggle with sin, but God is, you know, God is faithful. And you were able to take that, that dark point in, in his life and bring out the necessary light to focus the focus where it needed to be, not so much on, uh, you know, the behind the scenes uh, issues, but more that God brings hope out of those. And, and it kind of drew me back. I, you got, you drew me so deeply in, I thought you were going to explain. Then you were like, well, I don't want to get into details, but here, and I was like, you know, that was a very strategic and gracious move the way you narrated the story. And it actually uh, convicted me uh, in the sense that, you know, I should be more concerned with the faithfulness of God instead of wanting to know all the details of this, that, or the other thing. And that really showed me your heart and your desire to really just, um, uh, honor God's workings through through the life of your father in a tasteful way and a respectful way uh, while acknowledging, hey, we're broken people. We, we need Jesus. So I actually enjoyed that and was impacted uh, in the way that you treated that 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 episode in your, your father's life. Oh, I'm, I'm, glad. I'm glad. Yes. He taught me a lot through his trials. And that was that was his greatest trial, probably his, his greatest personal trial. But he, he learned a lot. He taught me a lot. He was very transparent. Mm -hmm. He was very open about uh, his struggles. Yeah. And that helped me to not be so afraid of struggles and to, to see Jesus so sustaining him. It's not that you don't have tears. It's not that you don't hurt, but Jesus sustains you and he's with you, you know, and you can walk to him from the boat and he won't let you drown. Mm. 
Yeah, excellent. Once again, guys, the Bible Answer Man uh, uh, book uh, written by Cindy. She's an excellent writer, and she has first. She's an eyewitness. You know, it's kind of like the New Testament. You got eyewitness accounts uh, of, uh, of Dr. Walter Martin's uh, more personal side and some behind the scenes uh, of the ministry. Um, I highly recommend uh, the Bible Answer Man. Uh, you can download it on Kindle. Is it out on paperback as well, or it is Kindle. Okay. Yeah. So d definitely uh, recommended a very quick read. I was able to breeze through it, but it was, it was interesting and captivating. So yeah, the um, paperback has the 30 plus photos, whereas the Kindle doesn't have photos. We oh. also have a lot of uh, Walter Martin videos available on Walter Martin View 3 on YouTube that are really riveting and uh, that you'd really get a good, a good taste of who my father was too and enjoy his, his gift of uh, teaching us about the gospel. So we also have that available there as well. Then now I have to, I have to purchase the, the paperback now. That's, I, I feel like I've been robbed. I've been gypped. I paid for the digital and I don't get all the. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 only certain books that I will have the digital. And I'm like, you know what? I think I need the physical copy too. Uh, so I, I, I might order the, the physical copy as well. I like stuff like that. So, um, Okay, so I, I wanted to ask about um, what in your book you mentioned um, something that I thought was very important, and it was not only that your dad was at the helm of CRI and he was very uh, um, uh, dedicated to um, allowing it to be a resource for the church, but he was very much interested in thinking about the future of CRI. I think a lot of people need to, to pay attention to something like that because we can we can be so involved in what we're doing that we forget that uh, we're not going to live forever. And so when we're gone, it's like, what happens to everything, this hard work that we dedicated to, uh, you know, the, these things that God that used us? How important was the future? When your dad, you said your dad had this kind of eternal perspective. He was able to see this big picture. How important was the future of CRI um, to your dad? And what did he do to secure the future of CRI? It was enormously important. I think that one of the reasons why he was able to handle this with such grace and such faithfulness is because he saw his own mortality quite clearly. Mm -hmm. And he didn't underestimate, you know, that any of, we could all be gone at any given time. He also had a heart Problem. He was a severe diabetic, even though he always hit the ground running in ministry and was doing great from the outward appearance, his heart wasn't doing great. Mm -hmm. He never mentioned to his kids that his heart wasn't, was in that bad of condition. So we didn't know how imminent his death was. Okay. My dad did. And, uh, you know, looking back is when I really saw 2020 more what he did when I did the uh, research for this book and, and the interviews that I did and everything else for this book. I realized, oh my goodness, I'm so proud of him because he had the foresight by the power of God to say, I want this ministry to land on its feet. I don't want this ministry to die. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, because the founder has died. And so that became something that really drove him. And see, I saw him going after um, Hank Hanegraaff in terms of wanting him to be a part of CRI. So I witnessed that firsthand. Rick and I lived in Arizona at the time. We're in Minnesota right now, but at that time, I did, when my dad was alive, we were we were in Arizona, so we saw him quite a bit. And when we would go back and forth, six-hour drive and go back and forth, we'd see Hank and Kathy at the house. My father was so excited about this man, but I didn't connect the dots. I didn't realize that he was actually grooming him to replace him in the event of his death. And I don't think my father wanted to say this, sit, sit his kids down and say, you know what, you know, I'm doing that because I know he would have created panic in us 
And I, I'm sure he just thought he would leave that part to the Lord, which I think was wise. So when it came to Hank, he, I just heard how excited he was and what a great job Hank was doing at CRI. That's, that was about the limit of what I heard about it. And so um, I was able to uncover these tapes of my father speaking at his Bible class. And that was a miracle how that happened. And I share that in the book. It's a, a tremendous miracle how God brought that about. It was, you know, wanting to, you know, when the attacks came saying, oh, no, he's not, he wasn't ever chosen to be that leader. Um, I just thought, you know, I prayed one night and I said, Lord, I just, I wish I could, I, and this is after Hank had been, you know, leading Sierra for 10 years was when it was, he was being attacked for, and people were saying, well, well, Walter Martin, he didn't pick you. So 10 years after the fact of him sitting at that helm, he was faced with that. And I remember saying to, to the Lord, as I was praying one day in my office, I said, Lord, you know, I just, I wish I could hear my father's voice because I would just love to know what his mindset was further than he was excited about Hank and they were friends and he really loved Hank and he was a great brother in Christ. And I wanted to know beyond that where CRI was concerned. And within two weeks of me praying that prayer, I had only just gone on to YouTube and established a YouTube channel and ministry channel on YouTube. And this man contacted me that I had never met in my life. He was an atheist. Mm -hmm. He used to work for CRI, uh, not in the days of my father, but when Hank was there, excuse me, and he wanted to have, he, he wanted to tell me, he said, I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of audio tapes, you know, about your, you know, with your father speaking and would you like them? And I thought, well, I've got tapes of my dad, but I don't have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, you know, mm -hmm. and we're talking about maybe eight or 900 tapes. So I was really shocked by that. He goes, yeah, he goes, and I, I, I just want to give them to you. I would, because I had had, we were putting videos up of my dad at that time. And he said, I just want to give them to you. You can have them. And I said, well, thank you so much. You wouldn't let me pay the postage. Nothing. And when they came, the boxes came to my waist. There were two of them. Wow. Yeah. So it was incredible. And I opened the box. And as it took me weeks to go through these boxes, okay. but I kept a player, I kept a cassette player and I kept popping in tapes as I do laundry, as I clean the house, you know, when I was home, you know, running around, I'd be playing and listening to my father preaching. And I kept hoping that I would hear something about Hank and CRI because I thought, you know, my uncle who had been on the board for over 40 years, I was very close to him and told me, oh, Cindy, I took the notes, you know, for the board meetings and it was Hank and your dad wanted him there. And, and this is the path, you know, and so I had information from other people that I, I knew was really important, but I thought, wouldn't it be a blessing if I could hear my father in his own words? Mm -hmm. Well, fair enough, you know, as I'm going through these mountains of tapes, I find a few cassette tapes that are marked Walter Martin chooses Hank Hanegraaff to lead CRI. Wow. So I'm popping in those tapes and I'm listening to this and I'm listening to my father's own voice. <laughs> God's pretty creative. I mean, I feel like I got these tapes, not only from a worldly zip code, like I say in my book, but from a supernatural zip code. Yeah. And I'm listening to these tapes and I'm listening to Walter Martin say, you know, I want someone who can preach. I want someone who can teach. I want someone who can run the whole operation, who is good in the world of the cults. You know, I want someone who can can step in and I really need someone like that. You know, and so he said, I have looked, I have, you know, vetted this man for, you know, I prayed for one man for two years. He knew Hank for at least five years. They had a close friendship. So uh, I was hearing all my dad's enthusiasm and excitement as he told his Bible class all about Hank Hanegraaff mm -hmm. and introduced him to the class. The class was praying for Hank. Uh, Hank was uh, helping with CRI stuff in Brazil at the time. And my father was introducing him to speak about that. 
And it was so exciting because it gave me an in-depth look, a, a glance through time to listen to my father uh, tell, you know, set the record straight from now, for now and forever that, hey, this is what I, this is what I did because God put it on my heart to get this man. He wanted Hank and he wanted Hank to stay. Now, Hank, if you listen to my interview too, which I know you read the interview in the book, fantastic interview. He answers yeah. every, he answers so many important questions and wonderful questions and does it in, with such grace and does it in such love. And, uh, you know, Hank describes that whole experience with Walter Martin and how he had told my dad he would commute back and forth between Georgia and California because he wasn't sure he wanted the job. You know, he, mean that, he meant it in the nicest way, of course, because <laughs> he just wanted to be sure of to do what God, okay. had, you know, his plate for him to do and to really search that out. And it was going fantastic. I, he was commuting back and forth and my dad was praying he would stay and the Bible class was praying and all this stuff was going on. And then my father died. Wow. My father died. And there he was. And he uh, was able to uh, step in to very big shoes that were hard to step into. Mm. And he was a young man, very young man at the time, and just in his 30s, I think early 30s, mid 30s. And he was able to step into those shoes of Walter Martin and he was able to run with the baton and to, you know, share the gospel of Jesus Christ and keep trying to build that think tank of CRI and, and the resources to try to equip the body of Christ in the same way that Walter Martin had. And so I, you know, knowing Hank as well as Rick and I do, we've known him a long time. And I can tell you, you know, he's a he's a wonderful brother in Christ. Uh, his, he's got such a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ and a passion for the lost. And he reminds Rick and I in so many different ways. He reminds us of my father. Mm. And I could see the wisdom of my father in putting him there. And so, you know, Rick and I kind of took it a little bit as a personal front that he was being attacked for not being picked by Walter Martin. It was being so criticized and, and, and so demonized by some. Rick and I took that very personally because we really, not only for the ministry of CRI wanting it to thrive, because ever since I was a little girl, I was taught to pray God bless CRI in all its efforts. Sure. Uh, so I love the ministry, but we really took it personally in a sense that we, knowing my father so well and, and being so proud of him and how he really laid the groundwork to put in a dear brother in Jesus Christ that would, would not be able to be, you know, swayed into any wrong direction in terms of, of just loving Jesus Christ and continuing on the same goal of equipping the church and loving, loving people and, and pressing on the way my father did. He, he did such a good job in, in vetting Hank. And I think that's, I think that's an impressive thing. And my father wouldn't just, Put anyone in there, and I've had people come to me and say, "Well, it was so and so, and you know, this person was supposed to be picked, and that person." And the sad part about that is, is that the truth is, is that my father vetted many people. Okay. He vetted many people, but Hank, he made the distinction of saying, "One man he prayed for for two years, and he kept trying to get Hank to come from Georgia, and finally Hank agreed." <clears throat> Excuse me. So my father really stayed the course and just went after this goal with with such discipline and faithfulness and really relied on the Lord to guide him through that process. And he should be given the credit for that because he did what he set out to do. He protected that ministry. And to this day, people come to Jesus Christ through it and are equipped mm -hmm. uh, through it as well. So yeah. I think I think that was a huge thing. And he well, should be given credit for it. <laughs> 
Yeah, and and I think you 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 talk about that in your book. That interview in that you meant that you included in the appendix was uh, very very interesting. I, I it's it, again it's 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 um, you get to see a side of Hank that I I never I mean that I've never seen. It was kind of a you know interviewing the daughter of a good friend is different than just a you know me interview if I ever interviewed him or something. There was kind of a a, a camaraderie and an intimacy there that you guys were just kind of going back and forth, and it was just a nice flowing discussion. Um, and and very informative as well. Um, and my last question, of course, um, uh, Hank Hanegraaff has been, uh, you know, the center of controversy because of his um, conversion to Eastern Orthodoxy. Um, and uh, you talk ab about that in your book as well, which I was glad you did because that's something that people are are interested in. And of course, you have the hotheads who, you know, are a little too interested in it. <laughs> and then you have the people who are kind of trying to understand how would uh, Dr. Walter Martin would have felt uh, if, you know, if he was alive and, and uh, Hank kind of made this this conversion. Uh, my last question for you, um, how would your father have uh, viewed Hank's conversion to Eastern Orthodoxy? Well, it's an interesting question. Uh, of course, I, I don't know exactly how he would respond. He would have responded, I can just go off of, you know, my knowledge of him, mm -hmm. what he believed and all of the rest. Um, my father, you know, it's interesting because he he didn't demonize um, the Catholic church in the sense he said he didn't call him a cult, which I know got him in trouble with certain, you know, Christians sure. not calling him a cult, calling them a cult because he believed of course that they had the core Christian doctrine, uh, just like the Eastern Orthodox church, just like the Protestant church and that they all fell under the umbrella of orthodoxy. So my father, you know, it's in the, the last, uh, especially the last five years of his life, he was really frustrated uh, what was going on in the Protestant church so frustrated, frustrated on so many levels with the health wealth gospel. Uh, he was really frustrated with the dispensational crowd because yeah. he was being demonized himself or not being dispensational. Uh, so that really troubled him and he was trying to um, help people to get along and to stop fighting. And he kept trying to remind them that dispensationalism came from Darby in the 1800s and yeah. that Earl Spurgeon himself uh, warned against it Mm -hmm. And it was looked upon as something added to the scriptures. And so this was something that my father uh, was pretty bold to speak out against and warn people, you know, not only do I not agree with you, but the fact that you've chosen to make this a point of division amongst yourselves is even worse. So mm -hmm. my father, of course, didn't gain um, a lot of popularity, <laughs> you know, uh, in, in that domain. But I'm really proud of him because, you know, that the Hal Lindsey was his was his uh, really good friend. And uh, his relationship with Hal Lindsey, you know, kind of taught people how to get along uh, by when they disagreed. And he had the funniest go arounds with Hal Lindsey. One of them is in my book. And of course, on Walter Martin 3 our YouTube channel, you can hear it there. Um, he, he really had uh, he set a good example for the church. And so did Hal Lindsey alongside my dad, mm -hmm. you know, on this topic. So I think that my father was discouraged um, by the fact that people were demonizing other people. You know, you're not dispensational, you know, you're not dispensational, then you're not a Christian. You know, we certainly heard that a lot. And uh, that really troubled him. And then, you know, you're going to be a little God, you know, the, you know, Paul Crouch and, you know, uh, Copeland and Hagen and, and, you know, name and claim, you know, uh, just uh, you, you, he wants you to be rich. He wants you to be well, you know, you all all of this stuff was creeping in. And just a lot of false doctrine, you know, you don't have to confess your sin, you know, your sinless perfection, all these different things, homosexuality, 
you know, being embraced by the church, you know, uh, so much of the church turning a blind eye to the fact that thousands of our little ones are murdered in the womb every single day. And where's the church? You know, there's, of course, a lot of people standing out against that, but there's the majority of the church is pretty silent. So there, there's so many issues that have gone on with the Protestant church. I, I could see my father himself getting disheartened by how much evil was erupting in the Protestant church since the Reformation. And I, and there's evil in the Eastern Orthodox Church, and there's evil in the Catholic Church. Yeah. And he was he would speak out against evil wherever he saw it. But what he didn't do is he didn't say, okay, Catholics, you're you know this is a cult, or or the other churches, you know, Eastern Orthodox or or the Protestant faith. You know, he didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. He would say they all contain the core Christian doctrine. We need to fight for each other. We need to fight for each other in love. We need to we need to approach each other with gentleness and respect, and we need to agree on the things that we can agree on the core Christian doctrines, and on the things that we feel like are danger zones. We need to go there together, in love. And you know, some people have said to me, "Well, you know, Jesus flipped tables, and you know, look at all you know, you you den of vipers and all that kind of stuff." You know, well, guess what? You're not Jesus. You're not Jesus. There's a code of conduct that the child of God is given. And that is that we are to go to each other in humility and in love and not demonize one another. I've, I've heard a, a well-known speaker demonize Hank, you know, because of the fact that he joined the Eastern Orthodox Church when this particular well-known speaker touts dispensationalism as the, as the totally, you know, true perspective, you know, that we should all embrace and, and that it's, you know, defined by scripture. And he really, he really believes in that. And, and yet he, he doesn't want to be demonized for believing that because he thinks that's the truth. Well, yet it's okay to demonize someone else that doesn't agree with you, even though they belong to a church that has the, that has the core Christian doctrines. And so I think that what we have seen is people demonizing each other too much and not showing love, not showing humility, humility, saying these things pridefully as if we are the end all to truth, which none of us are. We all, we all should be growing in grace and in truth and be willing to, um, put her arm around that brother. It's like, like so my father used to always say when he was talking about dispensationalism, especially give your brother a break, give your brother a break because they, you know, once they threatened to pull his microphone, when he was speaking at a church, mm-hmm. he was there to talk about the cults. And they said, and if you talk about dispensationalism at all, because it was a dispensationalist church, sure. Sure. they said, we'll cut your mic. Yeah. So all this to say that he was very troubled by evil in these branches Every one of them troubled him for different reasons, and mm-hmm. he would speak out against that. And so Hank is no different. Hank, you know, got really troubled by things that he was seeing in the Protestant church as well. The thing that convinced him to go with the Eastern Orthodox Church, which, by the way, my father never spoke out against. And uh, C.S. Lewis, of course, loved a lot of the lit- C.S. Lewis said it was the best liturgy anywhere was the liturgy of the Eastern Orthodox Church. So, um highly regarded by C.S. Lewis, um, highly regarded by my dad. But there again, Hank would be Hank would be the first one to tell you that there are there are Christians in the Catholic Church, Christians in the Protestant Church, and Christians in the Eastern Orthodox Church, but many lost in each branch. Mm-hmm. And for Hank, um, I think what led him into the Eastern Orthodoxy is he went back to look at the church roots. How did we do church? Like we talk about in the interview that I have with him. How did they do church? At, you know, when when there when there wasn't even a Bible, when things weren't even written down. And that really drew him in to find out what did the church fathers believe? And he studied that. And 
he studied, you know, more about the Eucharist. And Martin Luther, interestingly enough, you know, he's so worshipped in a sense in the Protestant circles because of the Reformation. And yet Martin Luther, we know, was very, very um, Catholic in many ways, even up until the time of his death, and believed in what actually drew Hank into the Eastern Orthodox faith, which was the Eucharist, that the Christ's presence was actually in the blood, in, in the bread and in the wine, um, somehow uh, in a way that we can't understand, in, in a truth that is an ancient truth that we can't understand. And Martin Luther, Luther you know, clung to that truth. And uh, Hank became more swayed in that direction like Luther. And yet I've heard people demonize Hank for believing exactly like Luther believed when Luther is an icon basically of the Protestant church. And so, you know, I think I think it, all of this to answer your question um, with would my father, what, how would he have responded? I think my father would have said, just knowing him is my own opinion. I think my father would have just felt like, you know, they, they contain the core Christian doctrine keep highlighting the differences that you know are disturbing to you know to us you know in each one of these branches uh, keep uh fighting for the lost keep equipping the church for cult he equipped the catholic church you know uh, he his father pakwa you know would teach his sunday school class sometimes um a jesuit priest that he had become friends with um father pakwa and he actually taught his class because he was a dear brother in jesus christ and my father recognized that so I think my father would have loved Hank still. I think he would have still embraced him as a brother of Jesus Christ. Mm. I think that he would have um, seen the path that Hank chose and would have just kept on pressing him to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered unto the saints, core Christian doctrines, you know, love each other, present the truth and love, go back and forth, talk to one another, but don't stand up in a pulpit. Don't stand up in a pulpit and demonize each other. Because that is not Christianity. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to love and to speak that truth and love mm -hmm. and to not um, not put out hits on one another. Mm -hmm. And, and I, think, I think an important point, too, is speaking the truth and love uh, doesn't mean we're compromising. So, for example, everything you've just stated with your dad's view on the Roman Catholics and Orthodox, there might be people who are listening to this and disagree with your father and uh, and and. But, Quite frankly, I have different views than your father. I would take a, a different position. But even in the midst of that disagreement, right, whether you think a Catholic is a true Christian or not, or an Orthodox person is a true Christian or not, the way we go about those disagreements, I'm sorry? Or if a Protestant is a true Christian or not. <laughs> but depend, regardless of where you come, if, if, you're, if you're claiming to stand on Scripture, the method whereby we disagree must be in line with scripture. So if I'm going to disagree with someone, um, I want to follow the gentleness and respect without compromise method. Um, and I think that's important because there are people who, uh, for example, uh, don't believe that Roman Catholicism is, uh, they hold to um, some key doctrines that really do divide. Um, and even in the midst of that, that doesn't mean we have the right to demonize them. Uh, if you think a, a group is lost for whatever reason, preach the gospel, <laughs> you know? And I think um, even in the midst of division, we can still uh, show love and open lines of communications without without compromising on our principles and areas that we do think that maybe we might disagree on what's essential and what's not or whatever. So I think there's a way to go about it that's honoring to God. And I think um, even with some disagreements with, with, uh, with 
with your dad on this point. I think he did that beautifully in the way that he kept relations, relationships with people and the way he carried himself in those dialogues. By the way, his interaction with Father Mitchell Pacwa, the I've listened to the series of those debates, were excellent. Um, and I thought that they were uh, interesting. They were friendly, yet that debate was it was jam-packed with some really uh, strong arguments from both sides, and they were able to do that in a way where I don't hate you. We just differ. Let's talk about it. And I really appreciate it. You gotta let people talk. You can't censor right. them. My father was way against censorship. And for example, Father Paco was censored. He was censored when he went on the John Ankerberg show. Hmm. They censored that when he aired them, they censored some of his words. Right. And we can't we can't have that kind of attitude. We have to have the kind of attitude that we're gonna allow each other to be heard hmm. in the context of what we said. And, you know, just encourage people to search it out, search out the word of God and let each other talk. And I think it's important. Come let us reason. Mm, very good. Well, let's uh, wrap uh, the wrap things up here uh, for, for a couple of minutes, maybe like two minutes. I think we might have just like two or three questions and a, and a comment here. You can be the Bible answer woman for. You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, uh, we don't, let's see, we, we, there's a comment here. Someone said, God used uh, him, referring to your dad, when I was in high school, uh, trying to figure out if Mormonism really was the true church. My pastor gave me some cassettes of Dr. Martin giving some lectures on Mormonism. I bet you can lose count of how many testimonies of people receiving cassettes of your dad's teaching. <laughs> I do, I do lose yeah. count. And people will always say to me, you know, you're probably really tired of hearing this. You know, you probably heard the same old story. And I tell them, I never were tired of hearing how the work the Lord did in my father's life touch another life for his kingdom. And it's like lighting, you know, each candle, lighting a flame, you know, and they continue to light the flame around them for the gospel of Jesus Christ from that one flame that started and it continues and it continues. And that's God. That's God. And it's, it's such an honor to be used by him. And I never get tired of hearing these stories of how... God brought them out of Mormonism or some other cult and into the true light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I never get tired of hearing it. So. Okay. Awesome. Now here's a, a question that was retracted because you answered it earlier, but it, maybe you can address it again here. Oh. <laughs> Daniel said here, it was going, was going to ask a question about how to be a good Christian father as someone without a Christian father, but she basically answered it. Any expansions would be appreciated though. I mean, uh, what what does a good Christian father look like, and how did your dad exemplify that? Well, I think to always be willing to listen, uh, to uh, speak the truth again in love. I think a lot of basic principles of how we conduct ourselves with each other. You know, never failing to show the respect, uh, the patience. I think my dad, you know, was a pretty patient guy. Um, when we were kids, I think we drove him insane sometimes, but I think he, <laughs> I think it made him better. I think he really started to <laughs> trying to, to secretly get your husband and your dad to debate. <laughs> <laughs> <a> question. <laughs> but yeah, I think the Lord really used it for his good. You know, when we were, I have lots of funny stories in the book. I hope people will uh, enjoy them. A lot of anecdotes, a lot of things that we put him through, a lot of fun stuff. Uh, he was, I would just say, you know, the kind of dad that, uh, cares so much about your eternity where you're going that you, you you keep eternity in mind and you you teach your child in a real sense not just in the bible stories and but in the talks but that you really bring life into it and really help them to see 
um, from their small little vantage point, you know, of their little world, you know, how, how Jesus, you know, can make a difference in their life and, and bring that, bring that into them. Like one of the examples I was told, you know, growing up was, you know, just, you know, giving to God and, and why offering is important. You teach your little one, you know, when you give to God, what does he do? He gives it back to you, pressed down, shaken and running over, you know, because God rewards our faithfulness and our obedience to him. And when we, when we give, you know, and give our offerings offerings to our local churches or to a ministry, God blesses that. And I remember as a little girl, my mother saying, well, Cindy, do you want to, you know, do you want to give a dollar, you know, to Jesus? And my father was exactly the same way. And then, and so they incorporated those principles right into our lives. And, and that's what a father needs to be strong. He needs to be strong, strong and bold for Jesus Christ, unafraid. And he was like that. And yet be willing to uh, be there to listen and to hear you out and, and to, even if he disagreed, he, there was not, you know, there was not anger toward that. He, I, I think I frustrated the heck out of him trying to, trying to help him to understand how wrong he was that um, he wasn't a Calvinist. <laughs> so I, so I, I really think that I about, you know, I mean, on, right. I mean, it's not, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, it's not, he did find some <laughs> but no, no, he's a Calvinist now. <laughs> <laughs> He's a he so we had a really a uh, big talk about that in a um in a restaurant uh, one of the last times i was with him and hmm. i know i really challenged him greatly but uh he he pressed on with me and and loved me and we need to do that with our children and he really did that with me. And I'm just, I'm really, really grateful for the time that I had with him. He died when I was 28 years old. I wish I could have had decades more to love him and to be with him. I still love him, but to be with him. But we have forever. We have forever. Right. And I'm just very blessed to have a father like that. And I, I would encourage any father listening to be a father like that, because there's nothing more important than pointing them to Jesus Christ you know, throughout their little lives in every way you can think of and to, and to teach them the word of God and to memorize scripture. So mm, very good. All right, Cindy, this is the last question and then we'll wrap things up. All right. You, you, you've done excellent so far and I really appreciate it. <laughs> Here's a with a follow up question. How as Christians do we resist getting jealous of people who have done so much and in terms of skills, books, etc., cetera, uh, for God. I suppose when you want to do a lot of things and you see other people doing more than you've done, and so I guess perhaps feelings of jealousy might arise, how would someone deal with something like that? Well, I think that we're all called to a different place in space. You know, we all have a different path that God has, you know, written before one of our days came to be, like Psalm 139, all of your days were written before one of them came to be. Mm -hmm. And God has, it, it's all special. We're all special when we belong to Jesus, when we're a child of God and he has, he has cut and carved out our path and he's not going to disappoint you. I remember as a young mom thinking, oh my goodness, you know, my father has all these accomplishments and, you know, I've got these children and everything and I'm really thrilled and those are huge accomplishments and I love my family and my husband and I felt like that was such a gift and a blessing, but I thought, you know, what am I going to contribute you know, in the way that my father contributed. And I remember feeling intimidated by that. I never felt a jealousy about it, but I remember being challenged in a good way mm -hmm. to, you know, sh share the gospel and do whatever God puts on your, on your plate to do, do it, run with it. And, you know, remember that it's, it's a command from our commander in chief and he's going to, you never know, you never know how God is going to use that work that he has done in you for his kingdom. And, 
which will be forever. And so it's it's really an honor. So no matter what it is he's called you to do, just be faithful. Just be faithful and do it. And, you know, so throughout my life, you know, I the Lord put on my heart to write a book called Rescue Me, which is a pro-life time travel novella uh, for the unborn. And I, I, it took me many years to get that book out. But God eventually, as my kids, um, finally, when my kids were grown, he gave me the idea for it when my kids were little, when my kids were grown. It was God's time. And out went the book. And then God gave me some pro-life songs, you know, that he's used all over the world. And just in my own small corner of the world, he began to show me, I have things for you to do just in my time, do them. And just even in writing this Bible Answer Man book, it was a difficult book to write. You know, Hank had gotten a cancer diagnosis and we didn't know we were going to have, have Hank. Um, my husband had, you know, his own health issues and had a, a major stroke right when I, right close to when I was, you know, going to get the book out. And you get all these roadblocks thrown, you know, thrown in the way. And I've had people say to me, I'll never know when I can possibly do this, that, or the other thing. Well, just rest in the Lord. Leave it over to the Lord. Pray pray over your life and just say, God, you know, show me what it is that I can do in my little corner of the world. And he will show you. And be faithful and do it. And it'll count for it'll count for eternity. And there's nothing more important than doing the work of the Lord that he's purposed and planned in advance for you to do. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for that. You did a fine job. This has been a very enjoyable conversation. And uh, guys, I really do highly recommend The Bible Answer Man by Cindy Martin Morgan. Excellent look into uh, uh, her father, just the family life, the ministry, and just the sort of guy that he was. Uh, it was an excellent read, and so I highly uh, recommend it. Um, well, if you have not yet um, subscribed to Revealed Apologetics on YouTube, be sure to do that. Hit the notification bell to know uh, when upcoming videos are coming, interviews, discussions. I'll be putting out um, a short, shorter videos addressing issues relating to presuppositional apologetics. Uh, there's a video on the docket where I respond to some of the critics of the methodology. And so hopefully uh, you guys will find that um, uh, useful. Um, well, if you have never heard of Dr. Walter Martin, get out under from under the rock that you have been living under and go purchase Kingdom of the Cults and check them out on YouTube. So much uh, material. Thank you so the much. I'm sorry? And the book, The Bible Answer Man. And the book, The Bible Answer Man. And the journey and his uh, and the funny stories too. I think you'll be glad. I have to say before we before we end, I, I really do recommend that you that you guys get this book. It was a joy to read. I, I mean, I, I as I said before, I love to see the behind the scenes of someone like Dr. Walter Martin. And after I put the book down, like I said, your dad had this gift of making me just want to read the Bible more, hearing how he interacted with people. I'm like, you know. I need to read the word of God more. And that's one of the reasons why I've enjoyed and benefited greatly from your father's ministry. But to be able to see it from the perspective that you present in the book with the personal stories, my faith, the toupee story. Oh my goodness. I will, I won't, I won't give it away, but uh, I, I was, I woke up. Probably one of the funniest ones. Yeah. Yes. I woke up at five in the morning to get my early reading on and I bursted out in laughter with, I haven't even, I haven't even had my coffee yet. <laughs> so, I still laugh. I still laugh when I think of it, and, and also his funeral and the memorial service, and, and his his. I'll just leave it about his sister. Uh, to share about his sister and and just uh, it's the whole thing. God has a sense of humor. That's all I can say. Yes, yeah, go. <laughs> I'm thinking. <laughs> read the book, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll be interested, uh, and you'll be challenged. I mean, you, you know that there there are things in there that really uh, strike a chord with everyone. Just reflecting on 
uh, Walter Martin's impact and, and asking ourselves, what impact are we going to have for the gospel um, and allowing God to use us within the context? I mean, Daniel talking about getting jealous over people who don't, you know, you don't write as many books. Well, what can you do now? What In what ways can God use you where you are at? And who's to say that the, the, the point uh, that you are in your life where you feel as though you're not as efficient with the things that you're doing at this moment, this is a time where God is preparing you. And who knows the doors that will open up in the future. So don't waste your desert moments. You feel like you're kind of in these droughts. Uh, use that as time for preparation and that when the time comes, God will use you in the way that he chooses and you'll be ready. So exactly. thank, you. Well said. <laughs> thank you so much, Cindy. I really do appreciate uh, you taking the time and giving me one hour and 27 minutes of your time. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. And until next time, guys, take care and God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening to Revealed Apologetics. If you have any questions that you would like me to answer um, on one of our podcast episodes, please feel free to send in your question uh, at revealedapologetics at gmail.com.